even when we're in our 60s or more and we're we're trying to dispense this unsolicited advice to our children, right? <laughs> and we just soldier on giving them the advice even though they're, you know, curling up their faces in disdain and and but we just do it anyway because that's our job. Our job is to unsolicited pass on unwanted advice and take the flack for doing it because it might help welcome to zestful aging where i interview thoughtful inspiring and influential guests who are making their mark on the world and contributing to the common good Making your mark big or small is creating a legacy, and it's one of the proven ways we can age well. And Zestful Aging Podcast is my legacy. I'm your host, Nicole Christina, psychotherapist and fellow Zestful Ager. And our music is courtesy of Judy Banker, another lovely Zestful Ager. She was a previous guest on uh, the podcast. Find out more about her at ZestfulAging.com. And to find out more about this podcast, my web courses, and other offerings, hop on over to ZestfulAging.com. Hello, loyal listeners. I want to invite you to a free international web conference I'm participating in that's going to be excellent. It's the Envisage 2020 web conference on challenging ageism towards women. Join us November 14th from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for the intergenerational conversations on many topics having to do with aging and ageism. We're going to explore how to be anti-ageist and age-inclusive in our own lives. They've brought together some great guests, so mark your calendars for the Envisage 2020 web conference. It's totally free, and you can find out more on my website, zestfulaging.com. I hope to see you there. Well, as usual, I've got my little loyal Jack Russell Sparky right by my side. He's taking his morning nap. So let's begin. I'm really excited about our interview today. We're going to be talking about something that I think is a little more upbeat and joyful than of late because we all need some inspiration and, and to be uplifted right now. We'll be speaking with Amy Newmark, and she's the best-selling author, editor-in-chief, and publisher of the Chicken Soup for the Soul book series. Since 2008, she's published more than 170 new books, most of them national bestsellers in the U.S. and Canada. Amy loves to collect stories. She's traveled through Brazil's impoverished Northeast region, collecting stories from regular people. And she's delighted to have come full circle in her writing career from collecting stories from the people in Brazil as a 20-year-old to three decades later, collecting stories from the people for Chicken Soup for the Soul. And Amy's also the author of Simply Happy, a crash course in chicken soup for the soul advice and wisdom that's filled with easy to implement practical tips for enjoying a better life. Welcome to the program, Amy. 
Thanks for having me on. I love this topic, as you obviously know, since we (laughs) have a new book out about it. That's right. And we're going to get to that and talk all about chicken soup for the soul and age is just a number. But I want to start with your trip as a college student to Brazil, collecting stories from folks who you call regular people, just people who are not, you know, fancy necessarily with degrees and advice columnists, but they were just people in Brazil um, that you interviewed. Tell me a little bit about that experience. So I majored in Portuguese in college, which sounds quite random, but what happened was when I was going off to do my interviews for college, I loved foreign languages. Senior year of high school, I took English, German, French, and Latin. So, right. And that was it. I was done with math and science. I mean, I wasn't bad at math. I actually kind of like math, but I was done. And my father had taken me to to visit Brazil a couple of times. And he said to me, you know, the way you could differentiate yourself in your college interviews is say that you love languages and you want to major in Portuguese. So I used that line, which made me stand out in the interviews and got into Harvard and then freshman year, took Portuguese, and then thought, this is actually pretty good. I like Portuguese. And so I did major in Portuguese, but I was the only person at Harvard majoring in Portuguese. And I had two professors. But even so, there weren't enough courses for me to create a concentration in Portuguese. And so even though Harvard frowned upon study abroad, I had to go up to this meeting with the deans. It was like, I don't know, getting a papal edict or something. And I was given permission to go abroad, which seems so crazy. Everybody knows going abroad is great for college students, but I had to get Uh special permission, went to Brazil, and then there discovered a form of literature that was printed on little crude booklets that were then then hung on strings in the little marketplaces, these outdoor marketplaces, and they were sold mainly to people with less money And they were the people's literature. They couldn't afford real books at real bookstores. They got these cheap little, you know, they kind of like runoff machines folded crudely. Leaflet-y type kind of? Yeah, they were like leaflets. And uh, they were called folhetos de cordero because they um, were folios, you know, pamphlets that were hung up on strings, cordero. So it turned out there was also a chanted um, rhyming form of this literature. And there were these singers who would get together and do like sing-offs against each other, competitions. So I was studying the literature that was printed and I was also studying the cantadores, the singers. And so I traveled all over Northeast Brazil interviewing the singers who were quite famous and also interviewing the vendors of these little pamphlets, the printers of them, everybody involved in this industry. And I wrote my thesis about that. So I learned a really good technique for interviewing people as I traveled around. And I'm, when I say the Northeast of Brazil, I mean, it was so impoverished. Like I was staying in hotels for $5 a night where there were like these cockroaches six inches long in front of my face in these little showers. I stayed in a hotel that pilgrims stayed in who had like walked 500 miles with a cross on their back to go to this holy town that I was in. It was really something. How did you become, I mean, you are now, you're a college student and 
how did you, this is really unusual for a college student to take this on and to immerse, you know, yourself in this world. How did you become this girl? It was just kind of crazy. I mean, I was 20 years old. I had blonde hair down to my waist, blue eyes. I'm in the Northeast of Brazil where they've never seen anybody with fair skin. They thought that maybe I was from Rio. That was the farthest away they could imagine somebody would have come from. And I mean, I remember going into one town where I was standing there and, you know, I, I'm, even though I thought I had a tan, I was actually very pale. And, <laughs> and, and, for and, you. I, and I had the blonde hair down to my waist and the blue eyes. And I was standing in this public square and about 50 women and children surrounded me in a circle just staring at me. And then like one of the kids or one of the women would get up her courage and would run towards me and like touch my hair or touch my skin and then giggle and then run back into the circle. And I just started like experimenting. So I like took three steps forward and the whole circle moved with me. I took three steps back, the whole circle moved with me. It was so weird. You were um, a novelty. Oh, it was a total novelty. Every place I went, the editor-in-chief of the local newspaper would find me and interview me, and then I'd have like a front cover article with pictures of me, and I was um, the pesquisadora americana, the American researcher. And so everywhere I went, I created, uh, I guess, like a tempest. You know, people were putting on the song, the song contest just for me, and then they were composing songs about me. And I still have it all from my thesis. I have this huge collection of the folletos and I have the tapes of the singing and I transcribed a lot of the songs and I became fluent in Portuguese in order to do this. But anyway, one of the things that I did, I, I pretty much learned how to do interviews at that time. And it, it's really cool because one of the questions I asked people to really bring out their innermost passions and dreams was I said to them, what would you do if you won the lottery? Because the lottery was a really big deal among these impoverished people in Northeast Brazil. And it was really interesting because at Chicken Soup for the Soul, maybe five or 10 years ago, we published a story where a woman was talking to her brother about how unhappy she was about her job and she was bored and she didn't like being in finance even though she was making good money. And he stopped her and he said, what would you do if you won the lottery? And she said, well, I would chuck this all, quit my job and move to Italy. And he said, you don't have to win the lottery to do that. And so it was an epiphany for her and she quit her job after she had saved up money for six months. She literally put her credit cards in the freezer, which I didn't realize people actually did that, but she did. And uh, she moved to Italy and the lesson to me was you should always live your life based on what would you do if you won the lottery? Go do that anyway. Just do whatever it takes to do what you would have done if you won the lottery anyway. And so I, I read her story for Chicken Soup for the Soul book, loved it, and all of a sudden remembered, you know, 40 years earlier, traveling around Brazil and asking this question of people. And it was a real lesson for me that this is an attitude that should, per should pervade our books. And it's very much a part of this new book, Chicken Soup for the Soul, Age is Just a Number, because basically we should all be doing everything 
as if we were doing what we would, what our passions are and what we would be freed to do if we won the lottery. And what I love about this is that you have walked that walk. You uh, were, you took risks. You went to Brazil. You didn't know exactly how it was going to go. And you were courageous enough to say, this is what I'm interested in. I want to learn more about it. Let me see what happens. I'm going to show up. So you have really done this, um, this walk where well, this is important yeah. to me and I'm going to do it even though it's kind of scary. I learned some other really good life lessons. I mean, I know there was the book about everything I learned. I learned at kindergarten, but I think everything I learned, I probably learned when I was 20 and doing this crazy thing in Brazil because I was all alone. There were no cell phones. There was no internet. Nobody knew where I was. And I was, I had gold rings on every finger and there I am traveling around this poor area where when people got married, they took a paper clip and made it into a wedding ring. I mean, nobody had the money even for a silver ring. And they would look at the gold rings and I would just say, oh, they're fake. You know, and I somehow was in this cloud of safety where I traveled all around the northeast of Brazil on a bus at age 20, glaringly, obviously, on my own and different and it all worked out. But one thing I learned from it also is the value of not having to plan everything. You know, I would just get on a bus because I heard that there was some good stuff for me to research in a town. And I'd go six hours on the bus. I'd meet people on the bus who would introduce me to people in the town I was going to. I would just get to the town, find a hotel, find the local people by asking. Also had to go the Brazilian way, which was you would make an appointment with somebody to go and visit them the next day at 11 o'clock. You'd spend an hour getting to, to that place at 11 o'clock and they would not be there. And you would just say, oh, well, and you'd get back on the bus and go back to where you started. The other thing I learned was you could ask a bus driver to take you someplace that his route didn't go. It was called Darum Jeta, which was like, give a trick. And it was basically, you would just ask him, hey, could you take me five blocks off the bus route and just drop me off anyway? And he would say, yes, I will. And so I learned a lot of things about that. It's made me much more spontaneous now in traveling around the world. I mean, sometimes my husband and I only have um, a reservation, say, for the first part of a trip. And then we figure, well, maybe we'll just stay where we're going if we like it or we'll go someplace else. And I'm very good about canceling reservations. I'm very spontaneous that way because it's a much more freeing way to live. You're not stuck with going to the place that you said you were going to go to and hey, we have cell phones now, we have credit cards, we have the internet to do searches. We can really be more flexible in our planning than in the old days. And so once travel resumes, I expect to resume that kind of carefree, spontaneous <laughs> way of traveling the world. Oh my goodness. I am just so taken by this. It just... Uh, so impressed by that. I mean, I, I aim to be spontaneous, but not, not quite to that extent. And I love hearing that story. Do you think your experiences being spontaneous have helped you in your own aging? Oh, definitely. I mean, you know, we all feel like we're 20 years younger than we really are, right? So even if things are creaky, when I get out of bed, I still plan to go and have that you know, fun, spontaneous day. I think actually during COVID, 
I think I've discovered a lot of the things I used to love to do as a kid, and I'm doing them again because we're home. So my husband and I pulled out our ancient bikes. They're just mountain bikes. They're heavy. They're awful. The gears are like, I mean, we really should <laughs> get some spider webs. Right. They're awful. But I found this guy who would make a house call. So we had a house call bike service guy come and he got them working, even if they make crunching sounds, you know, as we shift the gears. <laughs> and I've been riding my bike now for months. I ride my bike three or four times a week. It has been so great for my fitness. I feel like a kid again, you know, that feeling of freedom you get. Then I've been making my husband shoot baskets with me in the driveway, which I really hadn't done since high school, you know, but we had the basketball, you know, in the driveway for the kids. And so we've been doing that. Um, we've been going hiking a lot. And we also had the kids come last week for a staycation. And so we, since we couldn't go anywhere, we all went into deep quarantine because the kids have little kids. So I have three grandchildren in three mm -hmm. different family units. So we all quarantined so that everybody could get together. And then one day when we were going to the beach, it was raining, but we went out for ice cream anyway afterwards, because that's what you do when you're a kid. And I thought, you know what, my kids are 30, but they should go out for ice cream also, right? They should, you know, remember what it was like when they were 10. So we all went out for ice cream together, even though I had to run from the car to the ice cream place with the rain coming down. <laughs> Right. So this is the time during COVID, right, to practice these skills, relive your childhood. When we've been hiking, we've started going to different hiking places. And we had always just hiked in our neighborhood. And now we get in the car, drive five minutes, find other hiking trails. And I've been, I don't know, maybe I'm probably boring my husband by now, but I keep pointing out to him, oh my gosh, these granite cliffs look like the ones I hiked with on our property when I was a kid. And I've been getting very nostalgic about the outdoor life that I had as a child. Mm -hmm. You're really breaking a lot of stereotypes of, you know, what, what you should be doing or what, what age looks like, what aging looks like. Well, I still think I do a lot of the stereotypical things too. Like when my, my son is a really big bicyclist, like he'll do a hundred miles in a day. And he, when he came for the staycation with his bike and I knew he was going to be driving, you know, going all over our, our town, I told him about the squirrels repeatedly because this is the time of year when the squirrels are, are kind of suicidal, right? They're yeah, going crazy, yeah, yeah. right? They're crazy. And they just, they're taking risks and they're running right out in front of cars and bicycles. And, and I mean, he started teasing me because every time he was going out, I'd say, watch out for those squirrels really and truly like, don't go full speed down a hill because the, you, if you hit a squirrel, you might hurt yourself or You'll try to avoid a squirrel and you'll hurt yourself. And then one day he came home near the end of our staycation week. And he said, I don't even know if I should tell you this, <laughs> but I was going down a hill and a squirrel came out and there was nothing I could do. And it ran right between my wheels, but I didn't hit it. And I really didn't want to confess to you that I did get one of those killer squirrels, but that's, that's what happened. <laughs> Mama knows best. <laughs> oh, right. As we get older, we get wiser. But then I, then my um, daughter's husband said, oh, you should hear Ella. That's my daughter. Every time we see a deer when we're driving, she says there could be another one. And I thought, oh, I taught her well. I love when our kids say exactly, you know, it's like, that's from me. I taught you that. But right. And even, even when we're in our 60s or more and we're 
we're trying to dispense this unsolicited advice to our children, right? <laughs> and we just soldier on giving them the advice, even though they're, you know, curling up their faces in disdain. And, and But we just do it anyway, because that's our job. Our job is to unsolicited, pass on unwanted advice <laughs> and take the flack for doing it because it might help. I love that. Hello, everyone. I wanted to tell you about a product I've been using lately for aches and pains that's really helped me, and I've been singing it from the rooftops. Some of you may already have discovered the benefits of using CBD. I have found it to be a game changer for my creaky joints. I'm a tennis player, and I have three dogs, and being active is really important to me, and we know how important it is in aging well. But at age 59, my joints can be a bit stiff, uh, especially in my knees. And this stuff has really helped. So I don't have to wear a knee brace anymore, which really wasn't such a good look. I've done my research and it's very important to get the highest quality ingredients. There's a lot of junk on the market. So you have to make sure the product is tested by a third party lab at the very least. My favorite company is called Proze, P-R-O-Z-E, and they have several products that are formulated for specific problems, including sleep and mental focus. Uh, lately, I've been using the performance gum called Yippies and the Nods, which helps me sleep and tastes very cinnamony. If you go to their website, pros.com, and enter the coupon code ZESTFUL, you're going to get 15% off. I highly recommend trying it out. I think you're really going to be surprised how effective it is, and I would love some feedback from you on how it works. Again, the website, pros, P-R-O-Z-E dot com, coupon code is zestful. Thank you. Now back to the show. Now I'm wondering, you know, you have so many books, more than 170 new books, but this one on aging is the new one coming out in uh, first part of November. Is this particularly meaningful for you? Age is just a number? It certainly is. And actually for my whole editing team, because my whole team is age 50 and up. Actually, almost all of them are in their 50s, and then I'm 63, and then we have one editor who's older than I am. Um, but, you know, we're all thinking along the same lines. Like, we got to make sure we keep stepping outside our comfort zones. We've got to stay fit. We've got to try new things all the time. And this is something we've all learned from various Chicken Soup for the Soul books. We have all ingested this wisdom from our books and it's changed my whole middle-aged team you know because we're all keeping we're all keeping in mind the lessons we've learned from our books so we all talk all the time about how we have to step outside our comfort zones we talk about fitness we talk about trying new foods in order to eat healthier we talk about our relationships and how we've learned how to work on them because you know, you got to keep things fresh, right? You just can't fall into a rut. And we also talk about how less is more and how we have to clean out our houses because isn't that such a universal theme as we get older? And we're all 
we all feel this. Um, it's not just like a physical weight. It's this emotional weight of having all this stuff. So one of the youngest people on our team is doing something amazing. She just sold her house in the suburbs of a major city because you know now all the millennials have finally realized they want to live in the suburbs so you could sell a house in the suburbs really easily because of covid mm-hmm. and but then she realized she didn't want to keep living in her same town so she sold almost all the furniture in the house either to the new people or to people through you know craigslist mm-hmm. and then she and her husband are, are, are going to move to another state for six months just to see what it's like. She said, we're leaving with just our suitcases and a fresh set of sheets. And we're also envious. Like she's one of the youngest ones on our team and she's doing what we all wish we were doing. Mm-hmm. I love that. And you're all supporting one another. Oh, absolutely. We're yeah. all great friends. I mean, these books are really put together by a group of friends and we end up feeling like we're friends with the people who write the stories for us and friends with our readers who write to us and we write back. It's, I know this sounds really corny and probably you know, big and personal companies say the same thing, but we really are like a family at Chicken Soup and Soul. It's a family-owned business. Um, you know, My husband and I feel this personal responsibility. Like when COVID started, we said, we're not going to let anybody go we're going to make payroll every week. You know, this is very, very important to us. And we did it. And it turns out it hasn't been as bad as we thought it was going to be for us because the books, well, our book sales are actually up this year, which is pretty amazing considering that, you know, COVID has shut down so many stores and kept people at home. I think probably we were going to have a really gangbuster year. So I'm sad that I didn't get to see that happen because, you know, just, being up a little, probably we would have been up a lot. Mm. Um, and then we, we're also really lucky at Chicken Soup for the Soul because we sell pet food. We sell I dog food and cat that. food. Yes. Right. So what happened because of COVID, the shelters got cleaned out. Yep. So people started buying more cat food and dog food. Plus people mm. were hoarding just in case. So that business has done well. And then our newest business and our largest business is our entertainment business. So we are we make and distribute television shows and feature films and we have a very large business called crackle which is a joint venture with sony and it's you know how you have netflix and amazon Mm -hmm. and hulu and Mm -hmm. those paid services but then there's free streaming services also so if you're moving you probably don't go and get cable again when you move you switch to streaming Mm -hmm. so crackle gives you all kinds of great television shows and feature films, some of which are very new feature films. And you just watch a few ads each hour, you know, just like you would on network TV, although we have way fewer ads. So that business has been really good during COVID. So we've been okay, which has been quite a relief for us because as a family run company, you know, it all fell on us to do this. And so we've been able to keep going uh, and, I wouldn't say prosper, prosper, because it is during the pandemic, but we've been doing fine. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you really want to let people know Chicken Soup for the Soul has this, this is a family business. There's a lot of camaraderie and not to sound terribly corny, but there's a lot of love uh, put into this. And um, I'm also curious how how you get your stories. So the way we get our stories is that 
people really want to be published in a chicken soup for the soul book. It's a really big deal because we get thousands of submissions for each mm -hmm. book and we only have 101 slots. So when people do get into our books, they often have stories written about them in their local newspapers. They're interviewed on their local radio stations. Wow. They go on, you know, the morning news on local television shows. And we post on our website, chickensoup.com, the topics we're working on. If you go to chickensoup.com mm -hmm. and you scroll down to the bottom of the homepage, you'll find submit your story as something you could click on. And then okay. you'll see all the topics we're working on. And then there's a form you fill out and it's very easy to submit a story. And we even have a section where we give all of our writing guidelines. Although the best way to know what to write for us is just read any Chicken Soup for the Soul book mm -hmm. and that will give you a sense of what we look for. So we also send a, um, an email out to about 7,000 writers whose email addresses we have who have written for us in the past because we've been in business 27 years. So I'd say at least 10,000 people have been published by us and we've never counted, but it's probably even more than that. Including so that's Joan, how people- Joan, Including Joan London. Oh yeah. yeah, I know. And I know she's been on your podcast yeah. and she and I used to actually live next door to each other. So oh, that's, okay. that's how we met. Uh-huh. Yeah, we met. We were both going through divorces at the same time. I actually got some really great advice from her at oh, that time because she's always a great person to give advice, right? Yeah. Right. And then I got a lot of great advice from her much later in my life when my parents were aging and I was starting to take care of them. And she and I made a book together called Chicken Soup for the Soul Family Caregivers. And I used so much of the knowledge from that book in getting my parents to sign new wills, getting my father to let me and my brother be on his, you know, bank statements, beyond his checking account, beyond his brokerage statements. And then I used all of that advice when my mother died and my father needed to be moved into assisted living and then into a dementia unit. Um, he's still with us for a short time more, I think. He's fading now. He's 91 um, and didn't age well. You know, I think today people age better because he came from the era when he thought, he actually thought that eating a balanced diet was having steak one night, hamburger the next night, roast beef the next that <laughs> night, and lamb chops the next night. And he said to me, I don't eat steak every day. I had hamburger last night. And I said, dad, it's the same thing. You know, so like, anyway, so he has vascular dementia as a result. Mm. He just clogged up everything. Um, but anyway, yeah, she was great. One of the things we also do, and I think this really appeals to our writers, is that we are very open to new ideas. Uh, we're a very progressive and socially conscious group of people. And so our pages are pages where you meet people you wouldn't meet in your ordinary life. So if you're from the East Coast, in our pages, you're gonna meet people from the South and the West and the Midwest, Inclusive. and Canada, and all over the world. Anybody who can write in English, you know, all over the world, people are sending us stories from India, and the UK, and Australia, and South Africa, and New Zealand. And then we also um, are very open to all religions, all sexual identities. I mean, we've published stories where a mother talks about, you know, her transgender child, and how she embraced her child's you know, true identity. Uh, we have moving stories about people 
embracing it when their children come out to them and their children are so scared to come out to them. Mm -hmm. And then the parents and the grandparents do the right thing and the children are so relieved. We have stories about people, you know, with all different kinds of religions and belief systems from, you know, strict Catholics to evangelicals to people who are Jewish, Mormon, Buddhist, you know, Muslim, every kind of religion, atheists, agnostics, whatever the belief system is. Um, so we're, we just try to be there for everybody and introduce everybody to everybody in our pages and use our stories as an instrument for good and as an instrument for opening people's minds. When I publish a story from a grandmother who did it the right way when her grandchild came out to her as gay, I think, I hope I'm affecting some other grandparents. They're going to remember this story. And when their grandchild comes to them, they're going to do the right thing. And they're going to make that grandchild feel embraced and loved and accepted. Mm -hmm. So I really feel like our stories help the world, not just entertaining people and inspiring them, but also showing them how to behave when they come upon these milestone moments themselves. Wow. Really, you're talking about a transformational process, not just like, oh, what a sweet story. Listen to this story. It's, you're, you're hoping to really affect lives and um, towards the greater good. Absolutely. And I feel like this new book about age being just a number is really going to help people in their 50s, looking ahead to getting older, they might as well start now, start doing the right things now, and then mm-hmm. helping you know our prime audience for this book, which is people in their 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, because we have stories in here about people, you know, pursuing old passions, finding new passions, you know, learning how to to um, dance, learning how to act, driving a fast sports car, all these things that they've never done before. And they start doing these things in their 60s, 70s, 80s. We had a story from a woman who was 87 and found new love on Match.com after listening to her children who urged her to do so. Um, and we have people learning how to start a new business, You know, learning the joy of volunteer work when they end their careers, doing all kinds of new things. It is so empowering when you do something new. I am such a proponent of stepping outside your comfort zone and trying new things. And so I say everyone in our books has stories about these. You know, we've done books specifically about stepping outside your comfort zone and saying yes to new things. But we have a lot of that in age is just a number because it could be something as simple as downloading a new app on your phone and trying to use it. It could be something as simple as watching a new channel of those 400 channels available to you watch one and see what it's about. Or your grandchild's been talking about a certain thing. Go and look at that. It could be, if you're going into a grocery store, going to a different grocery store that has different aisles where you're forced to use your brain to find things and you see new, new things that you could try. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's just trying new recipes. I started baking bread, which I know is such a cliched thing to do, right, during COVID. And but, as, as I have, so don't right. worry. <laughs> My daughter gave me starter, and now I'm like a slave to the starter, right? <laughs> yes, I got to go. <laughs> right. Like, I'm like, oh, my God, it's 10 Time o'clock. To punch and, it down. and I'm like, all the lights are off downstairs. And then I say to my husband, I forgot to feed the starter. I have to go feed the starter. And 
I, I keep saying to him, now that I've got starter, we really could get a puppy. I'm ready. <laughs> right? Because the That's stupid the starter, I have to feed it. Demanding. If, right? Very We're eating so much bread because I'm making too much. I'm going to start giving it to the mailman, you know? So anyway. I love that. I love that story. It's like too much sourdough. That's a great problem to have. And, but you know, it's really interesting because it sounds a little bit, you know, silly, but I found it to be much more challenging in terms of the chemistry and then seeing the rise and, oh, that's a good looking rise. And some of it, I think, you know, I mean, it takes some uh, finesse, right? You just don't smash it around and throw it in the oven. Oh my gosh. I was just baking like weapons in the beginning, right? <laughs> just weapons. And Come actually, we, we, I've perfected now making the one big, you know, the one big round one in a Dutch oven. But then we tried making baguettes the other day because yeah. I, bought, I bought a baguette Pan from King Arthur, you know, I, one of the people now is doing the King Arthur website. I hear you. And I then we, you. so we made weapons again um, this weekend, my <laughs> husband and I. You could kill somebody with these things and then eat the evidence. A baton. Yeah, they are so hard. But but the regular <laughs> big loaves, the big, big round loaves. So one thing I did was I was talking to a guy who um, manages a bunch of radio stations because I was interviewing on the radio stations. So we started talking about bread, and he said that his mom was an amazing baker. And, he, and I was telling him my issues. And he said, you're letting it rise too long. Oh. Especially like the King Arthur website said, let, let it rise 90 minutes the first rise and then 60 minutes the second rise if you're using instant yeast, okay. which I switched to after. First I used active yeast. I, I that understand. didn't work at all. So then I switched to instant yeast, which is so much easier for me. So then I started trying like what I call speed baking. Like I would cut 15 minutes off the first rise and 15 minutes off the second rise. And it gave it the bread more oomph. It had a little more rise left in it then to go into the oven. oven and then it to continue. And I got yes. those bigger holes. You know, oh, like, gosh. So I learned that you're, you're supposed to assess how you did on your bread by how big the air That's holes are. Right. That's right. So then I started getting bigger air holes. Oh, and gosh. I made some for my son and then he took it home and then he, te like he texted me a picture so I could see how big the air holes were in the loaf I made for him. Like, you I know, know the new some, you know, you may be a Harvard grad, but this is like a new level of accomplishment to me, you know, oh, totally, you know, I think like, wow, I've done a lot. I've had a lot of accomplishments, but this thing will not beat me. I'm going to keep working until I get this right. And it is sometimes the, the bread laughs at you and says, this is not going to be edible. I, I had a lab once, uh, this was before COVID and I was trying to bake bread and I, it, it didn't go that well. And he was really excited because I was giving him pieces of this bread and he was eating, eating, eating all excitedly. And then you sort of see this glaze over. <laughs> <laughs> and you just knew what was happening in his stomach, like this brick was forming. <laughs> Poor guy. But yeah, it can be a dangerous sport. So yeah, it can be. But it's the kind of thing we should be doing as we age. This is mm -hmm. the kind of new thing. And it's added excitement in our house. And my husband loves it. And now we just weigh it. ourselves every day because I'm baking so much yeah. bread, but it just shows there's so much value to doing new things. And that's why this is one of the biggest focuses of our age is just a number book, mm -hmm. because I want to encourage people to do this because it has worked so well for me. And we had fallen into such a rut in our fifties. Like I remember this new movie theater opened one town away from us. 
and people were talking about how great it was and it had been open for a year and we hadn't gone because we didn't really know where you parked and how the parking worked for this place. How stupid is that, right? Like what a rut we were in. And then finally we went to the movie theater and of course the parking was easy and we, you know, we go to that movie theater all the time now, except not during COVID, but when, right. well, we will return to that movie theater. And then we started doing all these new things like zip lining, um, paragliding, oh going to all God. kinds of new countries, you know, um, and we started doing bucket list things. Like last year at this time, I was on a Panama Canal cruise from LA to Miami, and that was so fascinating. And I was supposed to be on a cruise in Italy this October, but that, of course, got canceled, has been mm -hmm. rescheduled for next year in October, which I don't know if that's even going to happen. Mm -mm, mm -mm. Um, I, I, I feel like we could talk for a long time about all of these really fun things and how to age beautifully and, um, and open ourselves up to opportunity. But I want to ask you now, where can people find out more about you and Chicken Soup for the Soul and age is just a number? Where would you like to send them? So I have a website, amynumark.com, which uh, somebody maintains for me. <laughs> so honestly, like, I don't even look at it, but there's a lot of good stuff on there, I'm told. Excellent. And then there's the chickensoup.com website. And if you can go there and you'll see the age is just a number book on the homepage. And we do a cool thing on our website. So we, uh, if you click on it, you will see the front cover and the back cover and you'll be able to read more about it. And then also... We have a podcast, and so you could, on our homepage, you could click on podcast, and you'll hear me telling stories from the Age is Just a Number book on the podcast, and so that's another way to get a little bit of exposure to it, but I'm pretty sure that everybody who listens to you, Nicole, would enjoy these stories because mm -hmm. we're really on the same wavelength, and mm -hmm. it's a really inspiring motivational book, and also funny and entertaining. I mean, there's really, there's a lot of funny stories in there. Like one woman, I loved her because she was driving her granddaughter to soccer at the high school and there was no parking anywhere. And the grandmother pulled into a spot that said seniors only. And her granddaughter was horrified. She said, grandma, these are for high school seniors. And her grandmother <laughs> said, all I see on that sign is seniors. I'm parking here. You know, there's a lot of privileges of age and people have a lot of funny stories to tell in this oh book also. Oh my gosh, you have so much heart and, and love in this. It's so wonderful to see um, and how inspiring you are, Amy. It's been such a pleasure to, to get to know the face behind this massively popular series. And uh, I can't wait for people to learn more. Thanks so well, much. Well, thank you. Hey, everyone. I wanted to tell you about a powerful new tool that supports your mental and emotional health in what are extremely trying times. And you may remember that I've been a psychotherapist for 30 years, and I'm always a little suspicious of products that claim to help us feel less anxious, depressed, or worried. But then I was introduced to a new kind of app called Cope Notes, and I have become a big fan. Cope Notes was developed by a guy who spent a lot of his life trying to figure out what might help support him through his own weekly psychotherapy sessions. 
Cope Notes is an app that gives you random texts through the day to break through some of the negative messages that might be repeating in your head. It's well-researched and has been a adopted by many mental health facilities. I highly recommend it. I think we can all use a little support right now. So check out copenotes.com forward slash zestful. I will receive a small portion of those proceeds. Um, And I'd love to hear your feedback about how it works for you. Thank you so much for joining us on Zestful Aging. If you like the podcast, please share it with some of your friends. I love to hear from my listeners. Send me an email at nicolechristina.com. It's no secret that everyone's feeling pretty restless and unsettled right now. Our lives are upside down and the future is feeling pretty uncertain. But if you're anything like me, organizing my stuff can help me feel a little calmer. It's something I can do to help me feel a little more in control and in charge of my own life. If you think decluttering could help you feel better and you could use a little assistance with that, check out the online course I've developed with professional organizer and designer, Carrie Luteran. It's called Too Much Stuff. And too much stuff is different from other courses or articles or guidance you may have used up. We give you clear steps to deal with the clutter and the tools to help you face the overwhelming feelings and the emotions that come up when we're going through our clutter. And a lot of those emotions are just feeling anxious or guilty or just basically flooded with a lot of different confusing feelings. The course is really practical. It's realistic. The lessons are short and punchy, and they're really manageable. We're not trying to set you up for some long, exploratory, you know, super in-depth, burdensome experience. We want something really helpful for you right now. We all need help with our anxiety. So, Being surrounded by more calm and less chaos can really help. So now's a good time to clear out the clutter so we can focus on what's really important in our lives. So find out more at zestfulaging.com. You'll see more about this under the web courses tab. If you have any questions, just shoot me an email at zestfulaging at gmail.com. Thanks so much. And stay tuned next week for another interview with a fascinating and inspiring guest.